You are listening to the Doc Doc Goose podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doc Doc Goose podcast. My name is Sean Palmer. I am one of your docs. Here with us is Ben Imes. He is your other doc. I am Ben Imes, and I'm still a doctor. Are you still a physician? Ooh, also a physician. Ah, man, it's been a while since we've done these intros. I, know, I forgot what I'm supposed to say. Gotta get back on the horse. And our goose, he's reluctant to come back, but here he is, Matt Imes. Still here. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, ben, let's do the disclaimer before uh, we get into anything else. Before we introduce our esteemed guest for today. That's fine. Uh, so our disclaimer for today is that this is an educational podcast. We are in no way attempting to establish a uh, patient-physician, patient-PT, client-architect, uh, podiatry-foot-owner relationship with you or any of your friends uh, who may be listening with you. Um, this is purely for education and maybe a little bit of entertainment. Also, the views that are, that are expressed on here do not represent those of our companies or really anybody else except for the, 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 the voices that you hear on here today. Does that about cover everything? I'm, I'm impressed. It's been three months since you did that and you just rattled it right through like we've always done it. Boom. I, I, I do that before our, our lectures that I do with the residents, provide them that disclaimer every single time. So, Oh, uh, I'm glad you're still getting practice. Yeah, it's good. We've uh, we haven't done this in so long that I'm I was uh, concerned we were going to forget how to do it, but we can talk into a computer, so it works. There we go. On today's episode, we have a special guest on. We have Dr. Jeff McAllister. He is a podiatrist. Uh, Dr. McAllister is a board-certified foot and ankle surgeon who specializes in advanced foot and ankle construction. He has offices in both Scottsdale and Phoenix, Arizona. He got his bachelor's from Iowa. He got his DPM from Temple University School of Podiatric Medicine. He completed a rigorous residency training in the Northern Virginia suburbs through the Innova Fairfax Hospital Podiatric Residency Program, where he specialized in foot and ankle trauma, adult and pediatric reconstruction, and diabetic limb salvage. Dr. McAllister is also one of the few podiatric surgeons in the United States that has completed a 12-month surgical fellowship at the prestigious Orthopedic Foot and Ankle Center in Columbus, Ohio. All that to say, he knows the stuff. Welcome, wow. Dr. McAllister. Thanks, yeah. guys. We're glad to have Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining yeah. us. This is awesome. So just like you would normally do when you have a podiatrist on, our topic today is concussions. So full Boom. concussion <laughs> protocol, uh, return to sports. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds Literally. about right. Yeah. Uh, I'll stay in. I'm, I'm not an expert on anything, so nothing You've hit new. your head a couple times, yeah, so exactly. this may actually be relevant. <laughs> <Sorry>. yeah. <laughs> Fun fact, I've had a concussion that hospitalized me, so I, I can speak from nice. experience. Let's do this. Nice. That explains a lot of things I'm told nowadays. Uh, actually, I think we're talking about feet today. Isn't that right? That would be what podiatric medicine is. Boom. Boom. Uh, so Dr. McAllister owns, like I said, a Phoenix Foot and Ankle Institute here in uh, Phoenix. Yeah, so we uh, have uh, landed in Old Town, and that's where we hail from right now. We also have a 
North Phoenix office just off uh, 17 and 303 for our Anthem friends and Prescott friends. And so uh, we're easy to get to in the north side. But yeah, we are we are laying ground in Old Town and, and uh, paving our way to a couple more offices, hopefully in Goodyear and Chandler over the next two years. Got to grow. Awesome. And uh, hopefully another associate and things next year. So things are blooming, Sean. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah, congratulations Thanks. on that. That's yep. fantastic. So and you guys didn't start that long ago either. So, Jeff, when you say things are blooming, you mean people are getting injured more. People are starting to get off their couch <laughs> and go outside. And, uh, oh, yes, gotcha, yes, gotcha. Exactly. We, we were talking about that actually a little bit before the show started, that we're kind of, that you might be seeing a little bit of a resurgence of, uh, of, of folks who maybe didn't do a whole lot over COVID and now they're figuring out that, uh, that their feet are not as reliable as they were hoping. Exactly. Were. People are, uh, tripping over their own feet probably, I guess you could say. <laughs> and so uh, the the couch potatoes are are started starting to um, turn into mashed potatoes, I guess. And so we've seen a we've seen a we've seen a bunch of Achilles ruptures, and it, it actually has helped, believe it or not, with with business, if you will, with people that do work from home because they're able to recover so much faster and so much easier because they can just work from home. And so they're, the burden of trying to go back to work sooner after a, a flat foot surgery or a bunion is, doesn't exist. So it really actually streamlines the post-op process a lot. Yeah, that's great. Glass, I didn't think about glass that part. half full, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So as we talked about today, we're going to talk about all things feet. And I think the, the most common stuff that I'd always wrestle through with patients is um, how to choose footwear, how to choose insoles. And, and if insoles are needed, uh, along with that also is, um, is your right. custom insoles, not just insoles, mm -hmm. but orthotics. Mm -hmm. And Ben and I hung out this weekend. We purposely did not tell each other our theories on these topics, just cause we wanted to hit from the standpoint of, we don't know what you think. Yeah. I don't know what Ben thinks. He doesn't I know what it. I think about these. So we're going to have a fun discussion about okay. this. Um, so I'm gonna start with a really open-ended question. What? do you think about the use of insoles and custom orthotics today to me uh custom orthotics and insoles i would classify as um orthotics being t typically i i try to train my patients into thinking that orthotics are custom insoles are over the counter just so they can kind of differentiate the kind of bread and butter versus what we have to offer in the clinic generally speaking I tell anybody this, whether it's whether it's a, a post-surgical patient, and we can kind of break that up into like recovery type of orthotics versus someone that's just coming in for foot pain, generally speaking. But I think they're for comfort. A lot of, and it's, the research has been shown that a lot of orthotics in general and in insoles are for comfort only. So um, that is just a plain statement and we can get into some more things uh you know specific to diabetics and plantar fasciitis and all these different diagnoses but uh generally speaking um i think they are they are for comfort and uh whether it be a, a long distance runner or um grandma jane that, that just kind of walks the neighborhood so uh just coming coming from a, a primary care standpoint uh, I, I had two plantar fasciitis mm -hmm. patients today. Thanks. Thanks for the referral. Um, one was very, 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and one of them, one of them was very on top of it and had done a lot of that good mm-hmm. early treatment stuff. Um, you know, trying some stretches, uh, um, trying to uh, you know take your anti-inflammatories. As far as insoles versus orthotics, you know, do you recommend that folks do insoles first? That over-the-counter stuff you can buy off a shelf first, and then if that's not working, then they are going to come see you. How do you approach that? Awesome. So if, if I was in your office marketing my practice to you and I said, hey, why don't you try this stuff before you um, send them my way? What I would do is uh, tell them to try the, I'm economical, the, the hospital, I mean, the healthcare burden is real. I would tell people and anyone, try, the, try a nice pair of, and I'll recommend some, over-the-counter insoles, see how you do. If that works, great. You can keep doing that with the same brand. They're fifty dollars. You can buy two a year or whatever. If it doesn't work, then we can we can go we can up the ante and get custom orthotics with a special little heel pad and kind of full length and really kind of delve into some intricacies of a specific orthotic that we'll talk about. But I think for or and we may be even missing the boat with diagnosis at that point if it didn't work with the regular over the counter uh, insoles. So. Um, plantar fasciitis in general uh, has it's been shown to plus it's like hit or miss 50 50 with with insoles and plantar fasciitis uh, which is uh, probably an hour-long conversation about the treatment of plantar fasciitis and we can throw a lot of things against the wall and not really even hit the target but I think yeah. in general uh, the, the purpose again can be comfort which would include supporting I call it like supporting the plantar fascia like a bra kind of makes sense with with half of the population typically, and um, that, that supports the plantar fascia when you're in a shoe um, and uh, versus being barefoot. So that's the purpose in that situation of, a, of an insole, which doesn't necessarily have to be um, custom because, you know, everybody's weight, I think that comes into plantar fasciitis specifically, the, the patient's weight, I mean, they could be severely over, you know, overweight and um, insole won't make that's a, a difference. Point. It's just not strong enough. You have a favorite brand of insoles? I typically uh, recommend things, and there's there's something I would recommend in the office, uh, which is typically Superfeet. I think they're kind of a go-to brand. You can buy them anywhere. I do have some in the office that you can't find in Amazon. So as a private practitioner, I don't want my patients to be able to go find something on Amazon because that just that's not helpful uh, per se. But um, a good quality insole, I typically like full-length insoles uh, to support the forefoot, really just for cushion. Uh, Superfeet has a wide breadth of uh, kind of thicknesses and opportunities for patients with kind of a slightly flatter foot or a slightly more arched foot, and they come in fun colors. Um, But there's a million different types of brands. Uh, The manufacturing business knows that this is one of the, uh, you know, uh, most popular musculoskeletal diagnoses out there in my small world below the knee uh, next to a bunion. And so... There's money to be made in over-the-counter insoles for sure, but the average range being from 50 to 70, as you know. And I think that the problem really is not necessarily the brand; it's whether whether that guy in the shoe store should be selling the insole with that type of specific shoe. How, how do they marry that relationship when a when a patient goes hmm. into a running store? How are they or a shoe store or whatever? How are they able to say, "Hey, this shoe"? In particular, over here, that's probably where we were going next, Sean. But how, how can we um, 
get a perfect match for that patient's foot and not necessarily sell them an insole. Yeah, no matter there's some stores that are just, uh, I'm going to use the word kind of criminal about it, that I've sat there and watched them. They go through this huge process of running on a treadmill and stand on pressure plates and let's custom mold this. And oh, here you go. You didn't even know it, but your insoles are already custom molded to your right. foot. Now we're going to give this to this associate. And they're going to go pick a $200 yeah. shoe off the, off the wall for you. And it's just horrible. Yeah. And uh, their process is so good and ironed out though. I'm not going to say the name of the company cause they'll get in trouble for that. But their process is so ironed out that people believe that what they got was a true, like custom insole. It's great. And I'll take them out of the shoes and make them stand on it and say, here, let me take a picture for yeah. you. That thing flattened out like a exactly. pancake. Hmm. It didn't do anything, but it's hidden in the shoe and you didn't see that. But hey, you just paid 80 bucks for a $3 piece yeah. of foam. So congratulations. Especially if they didn't even have like foot pain necessarily. They were just coming in for right. new shoes. <laughs> exactly. You know? And I, I'm like you. I love super feet. That's what I've always sent, sent patients for. Uh, they, they've really done a good job um, of making those. So what I, I agree with you that you start with with the easy, like the insoles, progressive custom orthotics, and that line can just change with every patient to when you hit that point to where you know, you think you it's need the bag that. of shoes patient. They come in literally with a bag of orthotics and a bag of shoes. They've been to 10 different people and they were smart enough to buy 10 different pairs of cash pay orthotics. It's that patient that you're like, this, this isn't working. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, go ahead. Exactly. What, what things, um, what conditions like would jump a custom orthotic to the front of the line? Say, okay, you, we have to go to this first. Like what are conditions that would necessitate that? I think conditions that um, require more correction would be more that supinated foot, uh, hind foot supinated foot where you need a specific deep heel cup. I mean, I am like literally writing five lines on the prescription that you can't just buy on, on Amazon. You can't buy some tin little patty pad thing to put in your, in your shoe to help work. It's the guy that kind of walks on the side of their ankles and they are 80 and can't get an ankle replacement or some big procedure. Um, and then, so when the foot tips out and tips in, so the, uh, nice flexible flat foot and, um, the the patient that has a more of a supinated foot like significantly supinated that that requires specific instructions um the other one only one is probably uh leaning more towards like neuroma type stuff and so the metatarsal pad thing and the forefoot cushioning it's you can't buy a shoe that helps that typically and um uh, that it's hard for us to guide patients on how to put on their underwear, for instance, how, where to put this pad in there. I'm sitting there describing where to put a pad on their insole for like five minutes. And sometimes having the orthotic <laughs> already made, it's already in the orthotic and it just, it's a lot more streamlined of a process. So, and that's like with taking business out of it and all that stuff, just straight up clinical conversation, um, uh, and the reality of, uh, what happens on a day to day basis. So. How long should a custom orthotic last? Is there like a window that should last in? I like that question. I get asked that all the time. I like that question a lot. Um, Thank you. T I, I would say I have seen orthotics that are probably three-quarter length, uh, the hard ones, the like leather ones that, that uh, they've probably were made in the like late 90s, I would say. I, I've seen some 30-year-old orthotics before. I, I tell people... I tell people 10 to 15 years, to be honest Jeez. with you. I mean, I've, if they're well-made and they're like plastic and not the foamy, um, uh, filled instep ones that you might get 
in a physical therapy office maybe, but not the hard plastic ones, then it usually, I would say at least 10 years. Sean, he just called oh, you out, dude. Oh, you're PT? I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, everyone is safe. I have never made an orthotic in my life, nor will I. I, I, I forget. That's a, that's a very good... I always... I, I like that distinction between orthotic and insole. What about insoles? How long should an insole last? I, I, it's a tire. It depends on the, the amount of you know miles you're putting on it. I would say six months max. Yeah. Okay. That's that's yeah. generally how I go. But yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if somebody's not wearing their shoes and they're just right. a couch potato all day long, that insole there's, could last them forever. Yeah. It's there's never there's been kind used, of a situation right? where... There's there's the long term I call it the long term play, which is the custom orthotic with a person that has a flat foot that we're trying to prevent surgery, and you know they've done some PT, um, they have uh, strength in their post hip. We just need to keep them in that position. So it's like kind of like my AFO type of device. And then there's the run of the mill. Hey, I have some foot pain. Okay, plantar fasciitis. We're treating something. So there's the the short term game, which is probably the the economic over the, the insole, see how you do. And then the long-term play, maybe it's a, a kid that um, has got kind of gotten over receivers. They have a mild flat foot and uh, now they need something more rigid to help hold up their navicular. And that usually is the, the um, UCBL or like the short little orthotic that goes in a kid's shoe. So corrective is probably a nicer word for it. How often do you see someone that comes in with those old orthotics that they've had for, you know, a decade or two and they just do not, their foot structure has changed to where that thing is not doing its job. Not very often. And, and I'm not calling orthotics Invisalign by any means, but okay. patients, pe people get used to them. Your foot typically, if they caught it early enough and they weren't in their fifties when they got them, then... To, to, they wear again the whole back to the circling back if i could say that uh they are for comfort and so uh, a patient has gotten used to them they bring them in because maybe they don't know it but maybe like something has slightly changed like their navicular has dropped a little bit or something but for the most part they, they take them out of their shoe are these okay doc and oh by the way my my bunion something that doesn't even get corrected with an orthotic my bunion hurts it's like no i wouldn't even they are hard as a rock. I can't like push down them on them at all. They're super strong. Typically, they're leather. The leather's all beat up and stuff, like a like a old hat or something. And it's it's uh, nope, don't touch them. Maybe resole them or something or recover them or not, whatever. But um, typically, no. I would say that they they wouldn't they wouldn't last a custom orthotic if their foot changed shape uh, more than a year or two. I mean, it would, they would not come in 20 years, 15 years or whatever down the road with an orthotic that's lasted that long and something significant has happened. Hmm. It, it's probably not even the problem. Just they're just, they come in just kind of, let's just say for toenails or some completely unrelated thing. And they're like, Oh, by the way, I've been wearing these and are they okay? It's like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to just pull your couple hundred dollars because I think <laughs> that they're ugly, you know? Now I, I want to jump on that real quick because my what are you doing to make orthotics look beautiful? My mother-in-law calls Ooh, them dork orthotics. Like yes, I'm calling her out right now. Yeah, what are you? What are you? So uh, what are you most doing to make of the them time, look uh, going back to the I call it the anatomy of the orthotic. The top cover can be interchanged with different. Um, the the basic prescription that I fill out has black, blue, lavender, or pink swirl or no swirl. And, um, so that's, that's Ooh, step number nice. one, right? 
And so it's a uh, kind of polypropylene, <laughs> kind of a soft little cushy top. And right, right, right. And then there are some companies that are getting into the custom game. There's a, a brand called Remind Insoles or something, kind of like a skater brand. So they have the like the kind of Mexican skull thing. Uh, they have all these these fancy little designs. A lot of patients don't give a you know what because they're inside the shoe, but um, the it, it's kind of a it's a thing. I have on my um, in office dispensed or uh, insoles I would call them. Uh, that I have my logo on them. I mean that's as sexy as it gets, you know. So, um, but I, nice. I if I had to design be part of that game i would have something that they could interchange i think that would be kind of fun kind of like how the, how the crocs have the little things that you can put yeah. in holes very very similar you can kind of doll it up a little bit <laughs> yeah. um but uh yeah the, the overall arching problem is that often which is the reason why people forget about me until something really is falling off or hurting is because you can hide your feet in orthotics and shoes do you ever see right. uh, orthotics being overprescribed, even from um, a certain specialty? Physical therapists, like like you just yeah. you just yeah. ragged on. I'm going to call them out right so now. Those guys, I think all the time. I, I don't like. <laughs> okay, so one one would be podiatrists. Obviously, uh, I think that is uh, often it is often looked at as an easy opportunity, if you will, and I think that. Not every plantar fasciitis deserves orthotics. Um, I think there's tiered algorithms for this. I, I start with the insoles. If it doesn't work, a custom's not going to work. So why am I going to try this thing? Um, typically, if, if that's the problem, plantar fasciitis, and then um, or they just don't want to buy them every six months. That's kind of the other conversation. So the um, what else? Hmm. So DPMs number one, number two. I kind of think more like. Uh, is Sean on here? No. <laughs> no. Say um, it. It's it's. I would either it's either a PT or even a hip and knee guy. It, it's kind of like someone that, hey, my knee's doing great. It's your foot problem. Go see the foot guy for some orthotics. And I see him. I'm like, dude, they were genuverum thirty degrees, and now their foot's inverted, and 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 they or or they just don't need them. They just are trying to shoo the patient away. You know, so. That's kind of a little zebra for you, but I think that is out there. Back to the PT thing, it's yeah. um, it's <laughs> overprescribed is a little aggressive. I would say uh, over discussed maybe, or um, it's it's probably more of a business decision. I think more than anything. I don't know if it's necessary all the time, but or yes. Back to the original comment that orthotics are for comfort most of the time 85 percent of the time and if if someone's complaining about something it's a very easy thing to say like oh it's, you probably just need some orthotics it's, it's a very simple like catchphrase that uh people bite onto really quickly and that's why there's a business behind it so i have a hard time selling them to be brutally honest with you i i have a hard time pushing them sometimes because it's 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 hard to sell something when you don't necessarily believe that it's a, a fix for everything you know it's not windex or duct tape. <laughs> and they're so expensive. Or duct tape. Are you Greek? <laughs> Windex fixes everything. Uh, yeah. What What makes them so expensive? It's, it's like nine hundred bucks for, um, for a pair of orthotics. So let's, let's talk about. <laughs> it's the magic that goes cost, into it, and then like how they're made <laughs> in the office. Like how, how do I get from point A to point B? Because I think that's important when we talk about this. So, cost to me 
is um, market market value. I mean, they're my my friends in New York, thousand dollars, period. Yep, and um, so wow. from point A to and around here, they're about five. Why are they so expensive? Because the next guy sells them for four fifty. You know, um, and insurance uh, privates pay five fifty for customs, which drives the cash price. So, um, and that's for a pair, obviously. So the from point A to point B, the 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 idea, as you know, Sean, because you, you sell a lot of orthotics. Um, the the idea behind this is to capture a patient either weight bearing or non weight bearing, right? And so um, your foot arch changes when you stand, right? So there are some guys that use lasers, lots of lasers, and they'll do an iPad. They'll hold the iPad up to the foot. You've probably seen it online. It scans the foot. Other guys will do foam boxes, so they'll put the foot in the foam box. The foam boxes cost about eight dollars, and that you were you have to buy fifty at a time. There's an inventory game. You have to send the box to a guy. The guy comes and picks it up. It's very old school, but it works. And that's non weight bearing. That's just them sitting in a chair, pushing down into the foam box. It feels like a nice massage. But then you can capture and kind of put the foot where you want it. How I was trained was maybe how Sean was um, 20 years ago, and it was with with uh, <laughs> mold, like plaster. So the patient's non-weight bearing, typically laying on their belly, and you can like dial in the foot and put it like right where you want it, and uh, mold the foot. It gets the office all dirty. Usually, there's a specific room for it. It takes 20 minutes to do because it's it's plastered. It has to dry, obviously. And then um, there are other, the last wave is the Dr. Scholl way of standing on a, you know, a pressure mat looking thing. And the other issue with that is that you're going to make the orthotic as flat as their foot is standing. So um, if you're really trying to correct something, then you need to almost have the foot more, especially a flat foot, then the foot needs to be more in a supinated type position or arched position so that you're, you're correcting something. Not to get off subject, but that word <laughs> came up again. What does supinated mean? Um, so supinated typically means like high arched or out, outward rolling of the foot. And so um, the uh, pronation obviously is the other way. So that technically would be like a flat foot. Uh, so that's pronation or eversion. And uh, inversion is where the foot rolls out. That kind of lends a person to have a, a high arch. And that's, that's where you'd step on the sand and you'd only see like the outside of your foot and then your toes. So yeah, usually a person with a supinated foot has more pain like on the, the outside little uh, bump or fifth metatarsal base of your foot or uh, their fifth toe region and in that part of the foot there, which is very, usually very hard to accommodate for because the, the outside of the foot's just very bony. And when it hits the side of the shoe or the side of the, the ground, it, it doesn't bounce back very well. Like the arch is more springy and it just has a lot more cushion and meat on the, the medial side of the foot. And people can live with a flat foot, not doing anything, uh, no orthotics, no nothing. I, don't, I have a pretty flat foot and I don't have any pain. It won't hurt for many, many years with or without orthotics. Um, way, it'll last way longer than a person with a more supinated foot that kind of walks on the side of their foot. That is a Matt, very that was question. a great question. I, I'm I'm glad we have you here today. If yes. nothing else, for that one question. Oh, there's more. Ask away. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Matt, you know, I 
Hey, I want to, Sean, I don't know what else you want to hit, but I really want to hit on heel spurs real quick. Man, this is like, go for it. I, I don't know, Dr. McAllister, maybe this is where you, you've got a very strong opinion. Uh, the podiatrists I've trained with, they were kind of wishy-washy on this, that, uh, you know, sometimes a heel spur causes plantar fasciitis or foot pain. Sometimes it's chronic pain leads to a heel spur. What are your thoughts? How badly do we, and how badly do we Good need question. surgery to get rid of these? So things? the standard patient that would come in, I, okay, maybe half the time. Sorry, half the time a patient with heel pain. When I see them on the schedule, they have maybe done an X-ray. They saw you. Maybe that you ordered an MRI. Maybe, and uh, they were told they needed surgery. Oftentimes they went to an. They went seriously. They went to an. <laughs> may, eh, not not by you. But oh, it's the, so it's the general concept is that they went to an urgent care because their foot hurt Friday afternoon, and my office was closed. They wanted something immediately. Went to urgent care, and they told them, "Hey, you had a bone spur. You got to go to the doc and get surgery." And that's that's a common uh, cliff I have to walk them off of because it is often misconstrued <laughs> as an emergent case that we have to take them and do some open heart surgery. So the. Um, the yeah so the oh, the general man. concept in my mind my pea brain size mind is that uh that the heel <laughs> spur is a result of uh traction basically is a good word for it on that ligament on the bottom of the foot and as that traction or pulling of the ligament on the heel bone it tears it bleeds it forms bone that happens with many steps over years it's not something that just built up yesterday and um, sometimes they can break and kind of odd zebras, but for the most part, that heel spur has built up over time. There may be a little bit of bone marrow edema kind of in there if you got an MRI kind of acutely, which is not indicated, but it's really the ligament that attaches almost right below that or with that heel spur there, and the ligament is pulling. Uh, so it's not something we typically chase. A lot of like how I was trained basically is it's a radiographic kind of appeasement basically when you when you are actually cutting off the spur because it's like <laughs> a, a person fixates a patient fixates themselves on the spur and if if the spur's not gone then it's not better and that's something that literally I'm I'm like in the mm -hmm. OR taking it off I'm like this yeah. and I'm cutting the ligament too which is the main part of the procedure but just taking off the spur is not something that is going to change so they've studied this obviously in patients with they just had a, a plantar fasciotomy which is a surgery for the like long standing over a year plantar fasciitis and then just taking out the heel spur and um, the the patients with the just EPF or just plantar fasci plantar fasciotomy did better. Uh, they've also st studied patients that came into the clinic. They uh, just asked them all after they took X-rays whether they had heel pain. Half the people had a spur and half the people didn't. So those kind of studies tell us that yeah, it's not always like clinically relevant uh, radiographically with whether they have a spur or not. Yes, I still take X-rays to check on everything, but. For the most part, it's the plantar fascia that gets inflamed at the insertion onto the heel bone. I really, yeah. I, I really like that answer. Thanks. Uh, it's it's one of those things that I, I've been trying to convince my patients yeah. for a long time. But again, uh, half the time I just I still send them to podiatry and I feel bad about it. I'm like, look, I know you've got a heel spur. I don't think that's what's causing the problem. But why don't you go talk to the podiatrist and see see if he wants to he or she wants to do something about it. Um, so, uh, I appreciate you and, and all the other podiatrists who've had to deal with, with, uh, with those, uh, well, downstream effects. Let me ask you what your, um, 
what is your, if you see a patient that's been dealing with it for a month or something, what's, what have you been taught as your first line treatment for it? For plantar fasciitis? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's, I think that's a very fair question. Um, and again, that's something I was, I, I gave this speech twice today, which doesn't always happen. Um, and wow, I know. The right? odds? So I tell them, uh, Hey, first of all, you need to be wearing shoes. So you can't be walking around on your hard tile floors all the time, uh, or in heels. Uh, you know, I don't know if heels have anything to do with it, but hard tile floors Only on the weekends. <laughs> um, yeah, you need to be doing some stretches. Uh, I tell them, I usually have them do about if their kidneys can tolerate it about a week or two of scheduled anti-inflammatories. Um, and then I have them roll a frozen water bottle along that arch. So I have them freeze their Dasani or Aquafina water bottle and just roll that on there at least once a day. Um, and you, you, you don't, uh, you don't suggest the Fiji water bottle, that square water bottle. <laughs> the square water bottle works sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Th- th- those are ones, you know, when I'm working over at our Scottsdale clinic, I'm like, eh, try the Fiji. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then I also talk to him about getting, uh, getting insoles. I tell him, Hey, just go find something at, at Walmart, Walgreens, CVS. At this point, you know, they've, they've got shoes that are 400 years old. Uh, and the big thing that I've, I tell my patients, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong, is a lot of them, they'll buy these insoles and they'll just sit them right in top of their shoe and they won't pull out the old insole. And so I have to go through and show them, Hey, you've got this little insert in your shoe. It's not glued down or anything. It's really easy to pull out, but most people don't ever try it. You pull out the old one and put in the new one. Uh, and that, that's usually pretty shocking to a lot Mm -hmm. of my patients. Um, and I, I'd say that's probably my, my general approach. And then if they still come back, all these things, uh, then I talk to them about, hey, I can do an injection or I can send you off mm-hmm. to podiatry. Cool. That's Oh, you get an A- minus for your answer. <laughs> I'm looking for the words PT. Yes. Ooh, PT I'll tell you, missing I have, from your answer. I have never once referred somebody uh, okay. to PT for their Why? plantar fasciitis. <laughs> not, not, not physical therapy in general, but for their plantar fasciitis. Man, you guys Why? get my back pain. You get my hand oh, pain. Okay. You get my shoulder okay. pain. You get all that stuff. But plantar fascia, PT, I, I, I don't know. I've never done it. Okay, so maybe that's something I just need to yep. start doing. So my my, I'll let Sean talk in a second. Yeah. Get him, Jeff. So get him. My my kind of standard. That's that's a good approach, and I like everything you said. Um, my kind of standard speech is: I need to fill three buckets or three priorities in this treatment. One is support insole. Here you go. You're not wearing anything, or they show up in the Arizona flip flops or whatever. Okay, let's wear either yeah. good good support or some kind of insole, something in your shoe. It's kind of the avoiding barefoot conversation. Uh, that's the bra, that's the holding up the ligament, that's avoiding barefoot, the whole concept. Next is the functional side of this, which is the PT. So they get typically a night splint uh, that's in office dispensing, obviously, and then um, and then PT to help with uh, accountability. Number one, number two is uh, the cupping and the dry needling and all the stuff that Sean can talk about. And then, um, so it's the active treatment part of it. And then the anti-inflammatory bucket is basically what you said, plus or minus a shot. And I, then I throw in other, which is PRP, stem celly kind of stuff, the amnio thing and shockwave and the other cash pay stuff. Usually I start with the kind of uh, um, cost containment centers and then work, work from there. But I would say PT, uh, some type of shot and some type of good shoe. And my shoe talk typically is a neutral shoe with an insole or a stability shoe. 
And so there's two different two different types okay. of shoes, obviously, as you guys know, and and um, uh, go from there. Uh, and I, I before we let Sean oh. talk, I want to talk shots. Real, <laughs> I want to talk shots real quick. Um, I tell I usually tell patients uh, I, when I inject them, it's usually with a little bit of a, a small steroid, so a triamcinolone, and then a little bit of like a lidocaine or marcaine. I I typically tell them it's one of the most painful shots that I do. I I inject a lot of things. Um, and I typically will use like a 27 gauge needle, so a pretty small uh, caliber needle there. Uh, but typically, that's where my patients really feel it. It, it. Has that been true for you? And do you use something different? Should I be using something different? So um, I like Kinalog 40. I'm kind of a tried and true kind of guy. And most yeah. DPMs want to see someone back every week. I, I don't function that way. I'm not an E&M kind of guy. And um, I, I think that uh, it's it's healthy to treat people in an economic manner and a lot of it's PT, which I can kind of put it on them to do. And if typically, if they don't do the PT, like I, this lady I saw today, we they did a shot under ultrasound. I hit it perfect bullseye, uh, 25 gauge, <laughs> one and a half inch. I uh, uh, do a two to one, just lidocaine plain, 1% and uh, Kinalog 40. And that's, that's it, usually rock solid usually medial, tubercle, that whole thing. And then um, I do it deep to the plantar fascia so it doesn't disintegrate the fat pad. So that's why I use the ultrasound. Yeah. 100%, yeah, yeah. I, it seems like I'm really missing the boat on on physical therapy, though. Sean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Buddy, I'm sorry. I didn't know you guys that's even knew about That's why we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know... I, I hear Dr. McAllister believes in it so much it might actually find its way into his clinic one day. Uh, obviously, I, I mean, I'm biased. What, what, what do I say? Um, yeah, we treat plantar fascia all the time. Um, this you know, is we, brand new information to really. me. Oh, yeah. I had That's no shocking. idea. Me too. Because, because, <laughs> let's, Sean, talk about, talk about the kind of root, root, some of the root causes. I mean, we're getting like dialed into plantar fasciitis right here, but what are some of those root causes of plantar fasciitis that make it come back all the time? Yeah, so you guys talk about, um, you guys have hit the, the causes that go from the calcaneus or the heel forward, right? I'm going to take the cause from the calcaneus backward up the back of the leg. Um, so you're really looking at, we very commonly see uh, calf tightness and pretty significant calf tightness. You can tell one side to another, right? So your typical dorsiflexion should be 5 to 10 degrees um, within your, your normal ranges. And you might usually have a patient that will sit like, maybe 10 degrees on their, uh, uh, on their unaffected side and they're zero uh, on their affected side. Um, and it's something you wouldn't ever know because passively, like when they walk, you might not pick that up as much because, because the weight of their body, bring them into the passive dorsiflexion, you're not going to catch it that way. But if I get them on the table and actively have them do it, there's a big difference. Um, you know, with that, with that pressure pulling back around that calcaneus, pulling it up just a little bit, that's going to be enough to cause those issues. You can also, we differentiate between, um, the, the plantar fasciitis or, um, irritation of that nerve that goes through there. And there, there are several patients that I send to tibetiatry because of that. I get to a point where I say, it's not, it's not the plantar fascia. Like we've treated enough. We've, we've normalized all your motion. It's not that I really think it's nerve root irritation. Um, I forget the, which nerve that is now that goes through it. I've been practicing for three months, so I just don't know anything by this point. Um, <laughs> Tibial nerve. And, but, yeah. uh, and the, there you go. You know, sometimes you just, you just find out like it's just, 
like that. It, it started as plantar fasciitis. Um, you had inflammation sitting along that area for long enough that it irritated that nerve and it can't find its baseline again. It's not going to settle back down and then it needs that special intervention, uh, to get it back to where it should be. Um, I do a lot. So I'm, I am very manually based as a physical therapist. I don't believe that if you're going to a PT that just says exercise, I, I don't really know why they went to school and got their doctorate. Um, that's insane to me. So I think you have to have a manual therapy approach on people. So, um, we do a lot of stuff, whether it's dry needling or cupping or using other instruments to, to break up the adhesions along the plantar fascia, uh, decrease the fascial tension along the backside of the leg, sometimes even go up to the hamstring if it's even up that high. Of course, you're clearing the low back too, making sure you aren't getting any radicular pattern from lumbar spine. That's something that we're, that we're going to rule out for you. You're welcome. And uh, really breaking up the, the gastrocnemius and soleus, making sure that's not tight and you have uh, symmetrical Great. ranges of motion. Oof. A lot of it. A lot of it Oof. works. Thank Sean, you. that's amazing. Wow. Love, love the differential. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to add it to my tool bag from now on, Sean. I'm sorry. And, and usually like we're going to, we're going to send people for insoles. Hopefully if no one else has gotten to them by that point and sent them to like, like Dr. McAllister said, I love super feet. That's what I've always sent my patients for. Um, so hopefully get that started as fast as possible if they haven't seen the correct person to do that yet. And obviously if it, if it's something that we can't get under control, then they're headed to. And to usually Dr. these patients don't require surgery for, I, 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 this textbooks say about a year is the standard kind of treatment algorithm that we recommend, but, uh, lots of failed everything. I wouldn't even order an MRI for at least six months. Now, you know, someone will punch you in the head before, uh, if they're still in a cam boot over three months or whatever, um, they, uh, they're going to punch you in the head so they can order an MRI if they're still hurting at six months. But I, I would say generally these patients, uh, do surprisingly, they do decently well with surgery, but the, the, um, because this is so common, our, uh, surgery centers would be filled with, with plantar fasciotomy patients. And it's typically just not worth it. You brought up a little bit ago, nighttime orthotics and Ben had, a, had a, a question mark on that. What, what was your thought on that, Ben? Yeah. So again, my, my only question is, is, is how often are you prescribing those nighttime orthotics yeah, so for the, some of this? Yeah. Pain? The night splints, I yeah, usually you kind of put into the second visit. So I, the first visit, I actually have a little, cause I'm a foot guy. I have a little typed up here, my exercises to do and uh, not something that I just kind of Googled, but it's branded and everything. So these are the five things that you do five times a day um, related to calf stretching and the very specific uh, uh, plantar fascia stretches. And then um, if they can't do it themselves, again, back to the accountability thing, it's like, okay, night splint and you're going to PT. And the night splint for me, again, kind of focuses on that Achilles. I typically tell them just to wear it about an hour or two a day for probably three weeks. And then kind of when I would see them back three or four weeks. And um, that gets them to avoid putting it in their uh, dust or their trash can or whatever, because if they try to wear it eight hours a night, like they're supposed to much like a night guard, you're going to throw it away. So ease into it is the point, And then add another hour, uh, after that. And then just keep going from there. Some people want to be a hero and try to go for gold, but usually it ends up on the, you know, on the floor. Oh, great. That's, that's a great answer. So, uh, what's something, uh, yep. I'm back. <laughs> uh, what's something someone can do uh, to prevent going to see you at your office besides wearing <laughs> shoes? What it sounds well, like. 
Um, is it so? Is like stretching your feet every day helpful? Is um, I don't know. So you're talking about the person that has heel pain yes. doesn't want to go see anyone. They're just googling stuff. Nope. What not, what, what not do they have to pay attention to on pain. Google? Just saying, hey, thirty down, thirty <laughs> yeah. years down the road, I don't yeah. want to oh, have foot yeah, issues. Good point. What do um, I do? So we should probably talk about maybe preferred brands and and why and stuff. But I think. Um, it, the problem is I, I don't wear shoes a lot, so I, I have a hard time answering this. <laughs> but, <laughs> so you can't touch that. Did, I, did somebody? Well, bring we haven't that, talked about flip flops or anything yet. But I think uh, I think um, I think the big thing is to be aware. To be honest with you, because and, and not hide things for six months or three months, and uh, because I've seen. Big and small, fat and wide, the whole bell curve have plantar fasciitis. There's no like one person that will get plantar fasciitis. There's the 14 year old with Seavers that comes in. There's the, or the nine year old. There's the person like yourself, a buck eighty, six foot, come in with plantar fasciitis and one foot for some reason doesn't like why uh, we don't know. I don't know. I'd, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. And so the the um, it just comes in all shapes and sizes, unfortunately. So I don't know if there's a way to prevent it per se, but I, I do think much like a dental checkup or something, maybe a once a year look around to see, make sure that everything is healthy at least would be probably my first answer. Yes, you can stretch every day and it may or may not prevent some things, but um, the uh, this, everybody has heel tightness and heel cord tightness. So I guess that's kind of the perfect answer that you're looking for uh, without looking for it. But um, wearing good shoes, and that's kind of the next thing that we'll talk about, and then just stretching your um, your Achilles could probably just generally prevent foot pain from the front part of the foot to the mid part of the foot to the back part of the foot. Good. I'll start. So what are your favorite favorite brands for shoes? I love Hoka's. I run in Hoka's. I do triathlon stuff. I, I'm a Hoka guy. Um, and they've... they've kind of talking about the maximalist the really big thick shoes and then the minimalist the vibram five finger shoes i think there's they're kind of they've gone from the vibram style shoe where there was a different trend and it, they were headed that way and then they realized that wait a second we're going too far we got to swing our pendulum over here and they they went for the maximalist side just shoe brands in general and i think really what we're finding is specifically hoka that we're 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 marrying this uh this they need to have every type of shoe, first of all, but um, the Hoka kind of has a nice cushion, lightweight, and uh, different kind of um, ranges of height drop in the shoe. So Hoka's number one. Number two is Ultra, A-L-T-R-A, Ultras. They have kind of popped up real quick. They're probably number five or so in line of popularity in, in the country right now, I would say, in market share. Hoka's probably number one almost at this point above above Brooks and New Balance. Yeah, they're, they are hot, really, really hot. And um, so ultras are, they're flat. They are. They're kind of like they've been known as the ultra marathon-y kind of shoe. But I would say, Ben, that it's a good recommendation for like a bunion, just a standard 30-year-old, 40-year-old lady that comes in with four-foot pain. It's a very quick answer because the toe box is real wide. It's very like caveman-shaped and um, wide toe box area. And it allows for like that sp natural spread as we age, our foot kind of expands like that. 
And so it's accommodative. Uh, we use that word a lot for diabetics and stuff, which we haven't talked about. But that that shoe is really good. That's my number two. And then number three is just New Balance because of the the width patterns. They just have like C, triple C, D, F, whatever. They have specific stores just for New Balance. So they have a little bit more of a um, kind of like the other category that like 70-year-old patient that comes in that needs a huge AFO brace thing that they have to fit like in a shoe, almost like a custom shoe that they can get like at the store at New Balance. So they're not that – they're not typically a person that's going to be doing – uh, ultra marathons and things like that. They're going to be in the, in new balances, but, um, they're a good run to the mill household name as well. I, I, I've never heard of Hoko before, but I'm not, I'm not cool like you guys. So I'm looking them up right now. I'm looking at ultra. It looks like they're very two different styles of shoes, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So they went from, they went from really, really big. And then people didn't like the looks of them because they look like they're walking on a pillow and then they've kind of dropped yeah. the size from appearance. They're still pretty cushy in the back, but they've they've dropped it to more of like a normal quote unquote looking shoe. But patients say that they feel like they're walking on pillows and files and all that terminology, but they're really nice. I, I could never get used to, I don't know if they changed it, but like when they were first getting big, I, I would try to wear some Hoka's and it's like they have this like rocker bottom to them. You always feel like you're rocking through or being pushed through that motion. I don't know if they're still uh, making them like that. Yeah, they do kind of look like uh, the Skecher rockers. Is that is that what mm-hmm. those were? The ones that yeah, yeah. I think Skechers. Yeah, the rocker bottom shoes are. Um, they've kind of come in and out of favor. We usually use them for patients that um, they can hurt a patient with Achilles tendonitis because when you first hit the ground, your heel kind of really drops down like that which can exacerbate the pull on the Achilles, that rubber band on the back of your leg. So it'll really piss off an Achilles tendonitis patient. And then, um, but we usually use it for patients that have kind of like ankle fusions or big like ankle pain problems because it allows for just a little bit more of a natural gait. And uh, that's what happens when you have ankle pain. You just slow your gait really down. Your strides become really shortened. So it allows you to kind of just like a smooth kind of roll do you do you ever recommend roller shoes in case somebody doesn't want to walk? I like that. <laughs> Are you talking so, about skates? No, roller the, shoes. The ones with like the, yeah, the, the heel light up ones. The light that, up yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The light yeah. up ones. The ones with yes, little just skateboard only on wheels. Saturdays, so I can see them on Monday for their injury. <laughs> so that's exactly. more of a business decision yeah. rather than a patient yeah. okay good um hoka actually has some pretty good uh flip flops um or sandals other people call them um so uh hoka and ufas o-o-f-o-s ufos are oh, good ufos. Um, and them. that's another good one to add to your armamentarium for your foot conversations twice a day and Ufos have nice yeah, clogs. Yeah, Birkenstocks too. are in right now too. I love Birkenstocks. I, n- I never thought oh. I would say that. They, they are really <laughs> in right now. My patients keep coming in showing me their Birkenstocks, yes. and I'm like, aren't those old people's shoes? Oh, they apparently, they're not anymore. Yes. Yeah. 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 Apparently, they're fancy. Are, are there any other? Let's say you know the. The, the Hoka's or the Ufo's, you know, you're not going to wear those uh, probably out to a date night. Let's say, you know, out here in Arizona when it's 117, you're probably going to wear sandals out to, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say dressy, 
but you're not going to wear those, you know, out to restaurants. Probably, um, you know, the, the brands like rainbows or something like that. What do the you think about those sandals? Um, I, I, I think, I think <laughs> well. that, um, uh, most, most foot guys, like it, it's to me, it's like, I wanted to be a dentist for a long time for some reason, but, um, uh, it's like candy to me. It's like, you're going to eat it every now and then it is what it is. I'm not going to stop you or beef jerky or pork rinds or however you want to think about it. But it's, it's, uh, it's something that you are going to wear hopefully just every now and then and not all the time if you have a major foot problem. So if you don't have any foot problems or you're like Matt and you're perfectly structured human, then you won't, you won't need, you won't need uh, perfectly accommodative sandals that support something if, if sandals a sandal now, I, I don't love the old Navy little foamy things. I think that's kind of a waste of time, but for the most part, you get what you pay for. Right. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold someone to the ground and watch them buy $200 sandals like, uh, Vionics or fit flops, or those are common brands of, uh, female sandals. I think they might have men's, but female sandals that have little, pretty little, little diamonds on them or whatever. And so it, it can be, they can be worn out to a, a dinner or not, but Vionics and fit flops are a uh, good play on words there, but they are common, um, dressier sandals and the Burks. I got to throw the Burks in there. How about socks? Do you recommend good socks? Point. Like with sandals? Or I like that oh, question. What do you mean? I the slides, right? The slides. <laughs> Definitely without sandals. Oh, we're getting yeah. technical here. Yeah. That's a no-no. I know yeah. that much. Sean uh, would probably side with me on this one. And I would say, like, compression socks, the, the Lycra socks are better than the cotton socks. And um, from a kind of vascular standpoint and uh, um, trying to prevent a lot of edema or swelling in your legs, especially if you're a runner, especially if you're on your feet all day long working at the airport and you're standing for 12 hours, the non-cotton to allow breathing um, socks are going to be better and they will allow for edema control. And CEP is a good brand, C-E-P. Uh, it was my attempt at sign language. Um, <laughs> CEP is a really good brand that are, they make knee high and the, the sleeves and the smaller socks and they have, um, uh, uh, just colors and all the, all the fun stuff, but they, they are, I would say higher end. They're probably, you're looking at them right now, Matt, they're probably 50 bucks or something, a, a pair. Um, you get what you pay for. Yeah. They're, pre they're pretty good. I've never heard of those. Some are like yeah, 20, the white, the white ones, those small oh. ones, small ones. <laughs> I'm a I'm a Balaga fan myself. You guys are nerds. You've never lived until you've worn those socks. <laughs> Apparently, this is fantastic. I'm so excited. Or or Bombus. Hey, we'll take a shout out for Bombus. Bombus. You want to you want to sponsor us? There we go. This this has been fantastic. I've learned a lot, and I think a good uh, good stuff to add to the the toolbox and talking to my patients about their feet. Like physical therapy. I know. I, apparently, I need to start doing that. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, Dr. McAllister, uh, unless Sean has anything else or, or Matt has anything else, uh, is there anything that you kind of wish people would know about as far as feet goes? Uh, uh, I would say orthotics. Let's talk. Let's just kind of stick to orthotics. I could go on for hours. Um, orthotics don't correct some things. That would be bunions, 
hammer toes. Um, they don't correct. Uh, they're not Invisalign. They don't. They typically won't. Even if you're 12 years old, they're not going to put your foot in a position, and then all of a sudden you wear them for 3.275 years, and then you take them off, and your feet stay the same. That is not. It doesn't do that. Uh, they're not braces. Um, they are. Uh, if the orthotics fail. Typically, that means either fail, meaning that they still have pain despite wearing an orthotic, uh, then typically they need something higher up their leg, so meaning an AFO type of brace. G generally speaking, orthoses and, and shoes and things are something that are often a kind of not a lead conversation. It's almost more of a flossing and toothpaste type of conversation. If I go back to the dentist thing, it's a maintenance uh, conversation that's allows patients I have a shoe list like already it's already done up so I don't have to write it on a note thing every every single time it's such a common conversation every and time, so yeah. I have my plantar fasciitis one I'll send it to you Ben I have my plantar fasciitis my wide foot my kid like high arched foot and it's very kind of dialed into to patients needs and desires and um and so uh yeah it's a common conversation I'm all, and I'm, and I'm kind of lead them towards the right type of shoe store that is one family owned like myself, but also gonna give them the attention that I don't think is over overburdening their pocket, but also is an educated dis conversation. Yeah. What do you think? So I went to a, a, a running mechanics CEU uh, a course a couple of years ago, and they talked about how the uh, some of the arch problems that we have are caused by um, Shoes. our reliance mm -hmm. on the arch support in our shoes. Basically the, the, the intrinsics weaken and we cause our own problems by heavy cushioning shoes where, you know, if you have a young kid and you don't let them wear these cushy shoes, they yeah. may not have these problems. The truest. Um, what, do you, what do you think about that argument? Yeah. I, I think five years ago in that book, uh, the running, what is it called again? Run, um, run for life or yeah right there was a book that came out that was uh, some people went down to mexico they they ran uh multiple ultra marathons actually one of the the authors was went to my high school and she ran cross country with me but i think that generally speaking that conversation has kind of died out a little bit i think it was really hot five ten years ago when vibrams were in when everyone more people were going barefoot and literally trying to run down the freaking street barefoot in socks or whatever and um I think that we we wear shoes because we um, are, are in workplace environments because we want to have a cushioned uh, walk that doesn't hurt when we're walking on rocks and pebbles or whatever, and we're not cavemen. And <clears throat> I don't think that we'll ever go back to that. I do think the, the mechanics of the foot can... Um, I don't think that they will change so significantly because you wear a regular tennis shoe for a couple hours a day. Um, I don't know if this has been perfectly studied in a person that's, you know, a twin and they set them down and said, Hey buddy, you're not going to wear shoes for a long time. <laughs> I don't think they've ever done that. <laughs> exactly. The, the you came twin, out twin second, so you're not going to wear shoes yeah. for a long time. <laughs> So I don't think, I think it's just genetic and sorry, like it is what it is. And, um, cause I see people that I think more, 
the conversation would be like maybe what type of shoe. I do see patients with the problems that did wear high heels all their life, and that's usually the forefoot kind of problems, the toes and the bunions and stuff. Um, and to me, the forefoot problems are, are shoes plus time plus genetics and equals bunion. But I, I don't think that we're going to someday like start not wearing shoes for life. It's just not going to happen. So I think those kind of CEUs are just kind of academic conversations. Yeah. I appreciated that one and I can't remember. I'm not going to give a plug because I can't remember what it was, but they, they, I love that they had like three presenters that had right. totally different points of view. Of course. And they kind of argued course. it out on panels. One probably had really that long was, That was hair. fun to hear. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was like, <laughs> he was just, he was just wearing like a garb around his, uh, his loins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Loin cloth. Yes. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. The, the the other interesting conversation with that I guess it came out of it and I, I I don't have a question to follow this up on but but they were showing like they went to oh, wherever it was in Africa that that's that's produced like the the top marathon runners yeah. over the past however many years who whoever won you know most of those marathons have been I think the New York marathons have been from right. like a specific area. Right like a specific tribe and they, they went there and videotaped the running patterns of them, but then they were shoeless their whole lives. And, and they, they saw like how they, their foot strikes and they put a shoe on them and they said, go, go run the same way. And it changed their foot strike pattern immediately. They've never had it on before. So that's just another yeah. interesting conversation that, that came out of that. Just, just tell them about, you know, our shoes actually helping or hurting. Not that we're going to go without them, but, but you know, how, how our shoes actually change. I, I think that in that situation, there's the, I mean, that's why track shoes are like nothing, you know, that's why there's nothing to a track shoe except the forefoot. Basically they're like almost like a ballet slipper, but the, every shoe has that natural seven degree drop that yes, if they're already walking on their toes and then you put them in a seven degree drop, it's going to, it's going to mess their, their strike up. But most of those people run on their, they have like a four foot strike anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting academic conversation, and a lot of that that in particular is just sports, not your everyday person that works at Fry's, you know, that's overweight and has tight Achilles and diabetic and stuff. So, at least now we know if they have a tight Achilles. Hey, there we go. Physical therapy. Doc Zakus. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Dr. McAllister. Uh, if you want to follow him and his antics, he, he posts a lot on Instagram. But he's uh, at Dr. Jeff McAllister. That's McAllister spelled M-C-A-L-I-S-T-E-R. And uh, if you're in the Phoenix or Arizona area, you want to go be treated by him. He's the founder and owner of Phoenix Thanks, Foot and guys. Ankle Institute. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you uh, again Dr. for your time. Fantastic having you on. Appreciate uh, yeah, yeah, a lot no of problem, great information. Guys. Anytime. Anytime. Excited. Oh, to the fun part about sponsors. Sponsors you know what? in the city. These darn sponsors keep changing our codes. God damn it. <laughs> um, mostly because we have people out there that post coupon codes on websites. <laughs> Uh, you know who you are. I, uh, I'm the same way. If I want to find a coupon code for, for a random website, I'm trying to, um, to buy something on, you know what? The people that lift those codes cause significant problems for the ones who those codes are associated with. And we're the ones 
that had that problem. Um, so Groove Life keeps changing our codes because uh, the, the code keeps getting lifted and used on their site over and over, which is great for revenue for us, not so much for giving discounts for them. Um, so if you are going to buy those wonderful belts, which I wear my Groove Life belt every day. Every single every day. day. I do too. I do too. And if I don't wear it, my pants fall down. Matt's oh, got Matt his got on his right his now. On. Hey, I gave Matt some Groove Belts, uh, Groove Life Belts for uh, for Christmas this year. You did? They're amazing. Yeah. I love it. I love mine. Um, and uh, they're silicone rings. That was their original one. Also, smart watch. <laughs> I thought you were giving me a different finger. No, that's, no, that's the uh, ring finger. Sorry. Uh, uh, they're, they're bands for smartwatches. Um, go to their website, groovelife.com. Use the coupon code DDG podcast, spell the whole thing out. DDG podcast. You're going to get 12% off. The other sponsor that I got to say, I got more people hooked on this this last month, uh, is pros premium dietary products. I don't mean dietary that it's to lose weight. I mean, dietary as it's healthy for you. Um, that has CBD in it. Nods, their sleep aid is absolutely phenomenal. I was telling Ben that, that, uh, my wife was having some rough nights sleeping, took the nods best night's sleep she's ever had for like several days straight. And now I can't get her to stop using it. So now I have to order double every month so that I have mine. Um, (laughs) It's just phenomenal. This stuff is not, it's not a sleep aid that makes you drowsy or anything like that. That's not how it works. Um, it's made with a formula that actually gets you into deeper levels of sleep when you go to, go to sleep. Um, and how you, how you notice that is you dream when you're in REM sleep. And I can tell you, I dream every night with this stuff. So I know I'm really? getting good sleep. Yeah. It's weird. I could have gone before I started using this. I could have gone a year or two without really having a dream. Yeah, I, I, and now it's every single night. Yeah. I, I, I never dream. Okay. We're, this is a, this is a case study. We're going to get Matt a bottle of nods. I need it. I need to start dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like in life, like you, you have dreams again or like you, you dream, dream while you sleep. while I'm sleeping. <laughs> Are lots, your dreams dead? Lots of dreams in life. <laughs> um, so head over to Pros. There's a link on our website or social media. Get to it that way. Otherwise, you go to pros.com. That's spelled P-R-O-Z-E.com. Use coupon code DDG15. That's DDG15 for 15% off. Trust me, you won't regret it. Ben, have you ordered yours yet? You you were you're doing the gum. You're doing their yippies. I was I was doing the yippies. I, I love the gum. Um, but I'll tell you, I actually I forgot that we talked about this. Uh, I went home and did not dream because I did not take my nods. Uh, I'm actually ordering some right now as we're talking. So. Don't forget to use the coupon code DDG15. DDG15. Got it. Other than that, you know what? Uh, I've really enjoyed doing this again. It's been way too long. Um, We're going to try to do this again before three months goes by again. Indeed. We'll see if Matt can fit us into his busy schedule. You're in. Gents, it's been fun. It's bedtime. I got to go take my nods. I know. All right. So until next time, I'm Sean Palmer. 
I'm Ben Imes. I'm Matt Imes. <laughs> and my watch battery's dying. I'm out of here. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Doc Doc Goose podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a review to help others discover us. Visit our website at www.ddgpodcast.com to read the show notes, blogs, view videos, and interact with the cast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the DDG Podcast. If you have an Apple device, you can easily access the podcast by saying, Hey Siri, play the Doc Doc Goose podcast.